My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church, where uh, our mission is loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're glad that you're with us in worship today as we continue in our sermon series called Become the Gospel. In this Easter season, which of course Easter is more than just a day, it's a whole season in the Christian calendar, we are asking ourselves, how do we move our faith from simply a head exercise where we think about who Jesus is and what it means? to follow Christ, and instead we begin to live out uh, the Christian life, and we begin to live out the teachings of Jesus in our world around us. And we've talked about what it means to be people of forgiveness, and and today we're going to talk about what it means to be a people who experience peace and stillness in the midst of life's great storms. We talk about peace and stillness in in the midst of life's great storms, and, and to open today, I want to share with you some words that I have long enjoyed, written by a man named John A. Shedd in the year 1928. He was an American professor, and he published a collection of sayings in 28 called Salt from My Attic. And amongst the aphorisms was a particularly pithy statement that should set the tone for us today. He said this, a ship in harbor is safe. But that is not what ships are built for. A ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. Words written 90 years ago in between two world wars, moments before the Great Depression. In fact, it was in the final year of his own life that Professor Shedd wrote those words. Surely he had every reason to value safety at that time. I think about our own time today in the midst of COVID-19 and hospitals on both coasts overwhelmed and an economy in turbulence, unemployment skyrocketing, oil prices collapsing, a possible power vacuum in North Korea, and oh yeah, that election that we all thought was going to be the big news in 2020. Remember that? Now, normally, when a preacher stands up and is preaching about Jesus calming the storm, it would be the preacher's job to help everybody in the congregation to get in the boat, to to paint a picture of what life in the stormy chaos feels like. But I don't think I need to do that today, do I? I don't think I need to tell you what it's like to feel trapped in the midst of stormy chaos. I imagine most of us know what that feels like. I I imagine a lot of us wish that we were living life back in the safety of the harbor, back in the safety of life as we once knew it. Have you even begun to forget what the harbor even feels like? To help us in our journey towards peace and stillness today, we're going to be looking at a very famous passage from the Gospels. In fact, it's a story that is shared between Matthew, Mark, and Luke in what we call the Synoptic Gospels. This story appears in all three. It was a story that resonated with all peoples. There's a reason why it shows up, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But this is the story of Jesus calming the storm. And we're going to look at Mark's version this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. And if you don't have a Bible at the, at the ready, then we'll have the words on the screen that you see right now. Let's hear the words of St. Mark this morning for us. It says, on that day, 
When evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go across to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The words of God for the people of God, let us say, Thanks be to God. Now, I want to talk about a few things in this story that, that jumped out to me this week as I wrestled with this text, as I wrestled with finding peace and stillness in the midst of our storms. And the first thing I want to talk about is the storm itself and the fear at the heart of the story, the fear at the heart of the disciples. Let, let's, let's talk about the storm that they're so afraid of. There's a reason this story appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's a reason why this story of Jesus having power over the wind and waves of the sea would have mattered, not just to the disciples, not just to the people hearing the good news, but to all peoples in Jesus' time. Every tribe, every culture, every people knew something about big bodies of water. They knew something about large areas of water, the depths of the sea and the depths of the ocean. They knew that that was the place where monsters and creatures and the evil gods who would seek to undo everything, that's where they called home. The depths of the sea, the depths of the ocean, the large bodies of water. That's why in the Old Testament we see God's power expressed over these large bodies of water. We see God's spirit hovering over the waters in the creation story and separating water from land. We see God leading Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea into salvation in the wilderness and the promised land. We see God commanding the creature of the depths to swallow Jonah as, he, as he's thrown out of a ship during the midst of a storm. And, and then we see God command that creature to then spit Jonah back up in his story. When your God has command over the seas, people notice. People in Jesus' time took notice because the sea, the ocean, the depths was a dangerous place full of dangerous things. It means fear for us today too, though. Ask anybody who lives near a large body of water if large storms give them pause, if they create fear in their spirits. You could ask my family in South Mississippi if living near a large body of water and seeing a large storm coming elicits fear. It's a natural response. Fear is a natural response to a storm when you're out at sea. And I don't think that Jesus is chastising the disciples simply because they're afraid. I don't think he's telling the disciples, don't be afraid, shove that fear down, avoid it, ignore it. That's not what Jesus is saying. 
If the storm isn't something to be feared, then that rips all the power out of Jesus' miracle. It's, it's the reason we pay attention, because we know the storm should be feared. That's why Jesus' power is so noteworthy. I think Jesus is calling us to something greater than ignoring our fear or avoiding it. I believe Jesus is calling the disciples and calling us to transcend our fear through faith. Now, I love the way that Brene Brown talks about fear. She's not the first person to say something like this, but Dr. Brene Brown, she's a famous psychologist and speaker and author, and and she says this. I love the way she puts it. She says, we are all afraid. We're all afraid. We just have to get to the point where we understand it doesn't mean that we can't also be brave. We're all afraid. We just have to get to the point where we understand it doesn't mean that we can't also be brave. That sounds like the gospel to me. Maybe that's why I love the way she puts it so much. That sounds like the gospel truth present in our story this morning. Because when I read the story of Jesus calming the storm, I I hear a message of the gospel. I I hear the message is this. It's not that the storm isn't real. The message of the gospel is not that the storm isn't real. I see in our culture right now a lot of people that wish the storms we're facing were not real. And we're pretending like they don't exist. And we're avoiding that fear. We're avoiding that anxiety. And so we just pretend like they're not real. That is not the message of the gospel. Jesus is not frustrated because the disciples are afraid of the storm. He's frustrated because they're allowing that fear to overwhelm them. The message of the gospel is that God's power in Christ is greater than the storm. We shouldn't ignore the storm. We shouldn't avoid our fear. The message of the gospel is that God's power in Christ is greater than those things. Now, I hope that we take this truth this morning and we, I hope that we don't turn it into a weapon that we can then use as we point fingers to other people around us that we believe are living out of their fear right now. As Brene Brown said, we are all afraid. We're all responding to fear almost all of the time. But I would ask us to do the harder thing. And rather than pointing fingers, allow Jesus to ask us a very important question. What are you afraid of? What fear is overwhelming you in this moment? What fear are you ignoring or avoiding today? What has you sitting trembling in the boat And then I hope we can ask the even better question, how can we hear that God's power is greater than the storm that we're facing? I love the gospel of Mark. I love the gospel of Mark because Mark makes the disciples appear so perfectly human The disciples in Mark's gospel set a very low bar as to what it means to follow Jesus. They so frequently misunderstand who Jesus is and what Jesus is here to accomplish. And in this story, they ask a very natural question, a question that I could hear myself asking. I don't know about you, but I saw myself in this story when they go and wake up Jesus and they say, don't you care that we're dying? How frequently in my own life? Have I yelled those words with my mouth or with my heart? Have I yelled those words at God in a season that was challenging or even painful for me? It's a perfectly natural human response. Don't you care about me? 
And yet the question they ask is also, uh, it also ought to give us pause because it reveals to us that the disciples are missing out on a critical component of Jesus as Christ. They're missing out on a critical component. It reminds me of a story about John Wesley, the founder of this movement we call Methodism. And back in October 17th of 1735, John and his brother Charles were Anglican priests and they were sailing from, we'll get back to me in just a second, don't worry, where'd you go? Hey, they were sailing from England all the way down to Savannah, Georgia, where they were going to be evangelists and they were going to share the good news of the gospel with the people in the new world. On this four-month-long journey over the Atlantic Ocean, a great storm rose up, not unlike in the story we read from the Gospel of Mark. A great storm rose up, and it was threatening to uh, end their lives on the ship. And, and as John and Charles huddled together and were crying, they noticed a group of Moravians. Now, Moravians are another Christian sect, uh, and, and they noticed these people weren't trembling with fear. In fact, they were very calm. And they were calmly singing hymns and praying together. And it was at that moment that John Wesley realized that something was missing in his faith. He was missing out, like the disciples were, he was missing out on a key component of Jesus. It wouldn't be for many years later when he had failed to be a church planter in the New World and came back to England uh, when he would visit a worship community of the Moravians and, and he would feel his heart strangely warmed, as he said, as he encountered the living Christ in a personal relationship for the very first time. He realized what he'd been missing out. But this was the moment on the ship in the midst of the storm that he knew something was missing. And he articulated it in this way. He wrote in his journal... It was then, meaning on that ship, that I realized that mine was a dry land, fair weather faith. It was then that I realized that mine was a dry land, fair weather faith. Oh, those words cut to the core of me this week as I read them. Because I realized how often do I have a dry weather, a dry land, fair weather faith. Have you ever been guilty of having a dry land, fair weather faith. You know, that's a dangerous thing for us to have too. We might think that staying in the harbor is a safe place to be, that staying on dry land and fair weather is a safe place to be, but there's a danger in having that kind of faith, not because of where it will take you, but because of where it doesn't. I love the way the story opens where Jesus says, it's time for us to go to the other side the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus knows what exists over there. He knows that on the other side, they'll experience miracles and healings. They'll share a last supper together. The crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the birth of the new church, all of that exists on the other side. And imagine if the disciples had made a U-turn in the storm. What if they said, we want a dry land, fair weather faith. We're getting out of the storm and we're going back to the harbor where it's safe. All of that they would have missed out on. And then I ask myself, how much of life have I missed out on because I was committed to a dry land, fair weather faith? How many places have I not allowed God to lead me because of a dry land, fair weather faith? How much more in this life will I miss if I stay committed to a dry land, 
fair-weather faith. And what could God do if I allow myself to take the risk of setting sail even in the midst of a storm to see what God has in store on the other side? Now, you may be saying, Scott, I, I, I'm on board. I'm ready to get in this ship. I'm, I'm ready to risk it all for God. But how do I find peace and stillness in the storm? Because I'll be honest, that storm hits and I get scared. And we've already said that fear is a natural response. So how do we live with Jesus in peace and stillness even when the storms do come? I don't know about you, but I've learned something in the last several weeks that I don't know that I knew before. And it was this. You can be stuck in one place and still be trapped in chaos. You can be stuck in one place and still be trapped in chaos. I used to think that stillness was about becoming physically still, sitting still, being quiet. That's how I find peace and stillness. And yet, have you found like me that we are all way more still physically than we were in a long, long, long time? We are staying put. We are all still more than we've ever been, perhaps. And yet, would you say that we're a people at peace? Do you think that we have found stillness in our souls? I imagine for most of us, the answer is no. I know that's my answer. I want to say this. I hope that you hear this this morning. Stillness and peace are not the opposite of movement. It's not just about how we are physically. Stillness and peace are not the opposite of movement. They are the opposite of chaos. I don't always find peace and stillness in silence or sitting physically still. Sometimes I find it in the symphony hall or around a large dinner table with a gathering of friends. I miss those, don't you? Or sometimes I find peace and stillness in the silly dance parties with my daughter. I can be on the move and be at peace and be still as well. Jesus doesn't cry out to us, peace, be still, so that we'll all become faithful monks who never speak or never laugh. He's calling out. When he says, peace, be still, he's not just rebuking the wind and the waves. He's also rebuking the part of us that is so easily commanded by this chaos, the false self, the lying voice within that says, this is the storm. This is the moment. See the wave. Feel the violent wind. This is the time when everything you know and love ends. He tells that voice. That false self, that lie, peace, be still. Because there is something greater commanding not only the storm, there is something greater commanding us. If you've heard nothing else this morning, I hope you hear this and maybe you need to write it down. Finding peace is not about eliminating chaos. I can't wave a magic wand. We can't pray the storm away right now. This is going to take time. Sometimes storms are just there and you can't make them disappear. I wish that we could, but life is not about eliminating chaos. Sometimes the storm is just real. It's about listening less to chaos and listening more to God. Finding peace is not about eliminating chaos. It's about listening less to chaos and listening more to God. Jesus is frustrated with the disciples, not because they're scared of the storm, but because they're more scared of the storm than they do have faith in the Savior who is with them in the ship. 
My friends, hear the words of Jesus this morning. Peace, be still. Allow the one who commands the winds and the waves to command your heart and your mind and your soul as well. Amen.